Opening WASU-FM Boom, celebrating 50 years on the air. Broadcasting from the Wayne L. Sumner Studio in the George G. Beasley Media Complex. Still crazy after all these years. 90.5 WASU, the app FM. Pulls up. For sports wrap on 90.5 WASU FM. Welcome to the George G. Beasley Media Complex on a chilly Tuesday evening in the high country for the first episode of Sports Wrap of the New Year, sponsored by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, attorney at law. I am your host, Lucas Warren, and joining me today is Jeff Marson, Cody Bear, and Kurt Zottel. Guys, how are we doing? You know, I'm doing pretty well, Lucas. I'm glad you asked. Um, it has been a very, very long time since our last show. Um, few things have happened. You know, the World Cup happened. You know, the the miracle ending for, for Messi in that incredible game. We had the the best playoff, college football playoff semifinals ever and got followed up by a dud of a, a championship game. Um, sorry to all our TCU folks listening, I guess. Um but yeah, it is really good to be back. Uh, we're going to talk some some NFL and um, some App State sports as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, like uh, like you were saying, it's been way too long since we've all been here. So excited to talk about some NFL playoffs. You know, it's been a good playoff so far. We're down to four. I mean, it's already it's solely so weird when you get to the end, like the NFL season. It just goes by way too fast. Um, but I'm excited to dive into it. Happy to be with you all tonight. Yeah, I'm good as well. Boons, as lovely as ever. It's great to be able to penetrate the ears of listeners again. Um, I'm excited for this season. Okay, Cody. Uh, yeah, I mean, I- I'm very excited to be here with you guys, and I, I can't agree with you more, Kurt. It- there's only three games of football left. It's yeah, just, it's-, it's sad, but it- it's the best football, but there's only three games left. So it's three and a half, the Pro Bowl flag football flag game. Flag football, yeah. Like, I remember when we were on the show and we were talking about week one, and now yeah. we're just... When we were previewing the season. I yeah. mean, it's, and now we're here. So everything moves fast. Uh, but we've got a great show for you. As always, uh, firstly, like Jeff said, we'll look at the NFL playoffs, recapping an exciting divisional round. Then we'll move to App State Athletics, closing the show with basketball and football. All that's coming up next. But first, let's take a look at all things App State Athletics. Athletics in the Mountain Ear Minute. Kicking off our action is the women's basketball team as they hosted Southern Miss and Coastal Carolina over the weekend. The Lady Mountaineers would fall to the Golden Eagles 75-68, but bounce back with an 81-74 victory over the Chanticleers, splitting the weekend games. Women's track and field hosted the App State split open meet on Friday, taking first in team standings with 184 points. The Mountaineers totaled eight event wins and 26 top five finishes on the afternoon. The women's tennis team traveled to Charlotte on Saturday to face off against Queens University in their first match as a D1 program. With the team score knotted at 3-3, Helena Jansen surged to a 6-3, 3-6, and 6-2 win at number one singles over Jill Morse to send App State to a 4-3 victory at Queens on Saturday. And finally, the wrestling team posted their third shutout in a month as the 21st-ranked Mountaineers took all 10 matches in a 37-0 victory at VMI. The Mountaineers now improved to 6-2 with both losses coming against top 10 opponents. Immediately after we finish here, the wrestling team will be host to Duke, so be sure to support all your App State athletics. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Wrap on 90.5 WASU. 
Raiseweather.com is based in Boone and forecasts the weather in the high country and from the North Carolina-Virginia state line to Waynesville, North Carolina, the mountains, the foothills, and the microclimates in between, with specific websites for each area, including booneweather.com, with radar and webcams of the area. Winter, spring, summer, fall, raiseweather.com. State's New River Light and Power Green Power Program brings clean, climate-friendly energy to the high country. Renewable sources of energy replace carbon-based electric use, lowering our carbon footprint and helping protect the environment. The power is yours. Learn more about the Green Power Program today at nrlp.appstate.edu. NRLP is one of more than 70 public power utilities in North Carolina that collectively serve nearly 1.3 million customers. Public Power Week is October 2nd through the 8th, 2022. Appalachian State University's NRLP is. This program is sponsored by Eggers Law Firm, located on West King Street in downtown Boone. From business to traffic matters, the Eggers Law Firm has provided legal service to the high country since 1950. As fourth-generation Appalachian alumni, the Eggers Law Firm is here to assist you with legal help when you need it. The Eggers Law Firm, 737 West King Street. If the Boone winter winds have you wishing for warmer weather, think about summer and taking a class or two. Registration opens on April 3rd. The summer session scheduled classes is available now at summersessions.appstate.edu. Welcome back to Sports Wrap, sponsored by Eggers, Eggers, and Eggers, attorney at law. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs wrapped up this weekend with the matches for the championship week set in the AFC. The top-ranked Kansas City Chiefs will host the third-seeded Cincinnati Bengals in a rematch from last year's AFC championship. And in the NFC, the two top seeds are set to face off as the Philadelphia Eagles will host the San Francisco 49ers. Before we go into the divisional round games, guys, we're going to look ahead at this championship game. So what do you expect from these matchups and how do you expect it to play out? Yeah, uh, they're both heavyweight matchups, first of all. Um, the one versus the three in the AFC side and the one versus two on the NFC side. As you mentioned, um, I'm expecting a war in, in both games. Um, as for the AFC game, I feel like the narratives have already been created for this game because of the Patrick Mahomes injury. It's going to be, well, the Bengals benefited from the injury or Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time if he wins this game. But... um I'm uh, I'm hoping that the the Bengals will pull that one out. And as for the NFC side, again, those those are just by far the two best teams on the NFC side. Um, I think the Eagles will end up. Uh, I don't know if we're doing predictions right now, but uh, the Eagles throw them out there. Yeah, I, I like the Eagles with their with their um, home field advantage as well as an advantage at the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I think with this, I want to talk about the Bengals for a second because you know. With this Bills team, I think so many people, they had problems, especially at the quarterback position. Josh Allen was not looking like his true self throughout the regular season, especially in the back half of the year. And I still think a lot of people just considered them the threat in the AFC, which I can understand why. Like You saw what happened last year when they played the Chiefs. But to me, this Bengals team, going 10-1 in the last 12 games, looking like the true best team in the AFC, there was no reason for me, and I think a lot of people, and you guys including, like, there's no reason for us to think that this Bills team was much better than Bengals, but it sounds like that was kind of the consensus with a lot of people. So this Bengals team is the team to beat. I think they're going to beat. Um, I think they're going to win that game, beat Kansas City and Kansas City. I'm just happy, though, that we didn't get a neutral site game between the Bills <laughs> and the Chiefs. That uh, was not a fan of that idea. Um, but to go with the ben- Eagles and 49ers, these are the two best teams in the NFC. Um, the 49ers probably have the best roster in the NFL. Obviously, the biggest question mark is Brock Purdy, how he's going to be. Uh, we saw a little bit of a weird performance from him in that Cowboys game, but he ultimately got it done. So I'm excited to see how he does in Lincoln Financial Field. But it's going to be a great matchup between all of these games. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, after watching, obviously, like the season and the playoffs, 
I really do have confidence that these are the four best teams. There's no team that got lucky or just happened to get hot right as we got to the playoffs. I really think the four teams left are the four best teams. And I think with the Bengals and the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, his injury might play into it, might not. I, I think the Bengals win either way. Um, and then as far as the Eagles and the 49ers, these are the teams in the NFC we've been talking about for the entire second half of the season. Once the Niners got Christian McCaffrey, they kind of became really the favorite almost. And then the Eagles have been the favorite for that first half and in a lot of people's minds all season. A lot of people, including me, I think the Eagles, uh, I think Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback. Um, just for kicks and giggles this morning, I watched the 2019 Iowa State versus Oklahoma game oh. between Purdy and Hurts. Uh, such a good game. I think I think in that game, Purdy looked like the better quarterback, but I think uh, this weekend, Jalen Hurts will look like the better quarterback, and I think the Eagles will win. Yeah, I agree with all your points. I love these games. Like you said, Cody, I think these are the four best teams uh, that we've seen all season long. And like you said, Kurt, I do think... We were obviously surprised in the manner the Bills lost. I think this was probably the most surprising outcome. I, don't, I think the Bills or the Bengals easily were expected to win that game, but not in that fashion in Buffalo. But we saw the writing on the wall. They struggled to beat a Miami team that wasn't good the week before. So I think we all just came to realize after that game, wow, the, the Bills weren't who we thought they were. But you just have great matchups on the AFC side. You have two quarterbacks who can define their legacies with this game. Joe Burrow can completely own the AFC if he gets to the Super Bowl again. And then Patrick Mahomes can uh, take care of the only demon we've seen on his career so far, which is the Cincinnati Bengals team. Plus, he's injured. So like you said, Jeff, I mean, he would be the best quarterback. Everybody would crown him as best quarterback of all time if he won this game. And then in the NFC side, I think you have the two best rosters in football, two most complete teams. And then the question is kind of at that quarterback spot for both teams. But obviously, Hurts has been great for them all year. And I think Purdy, obviously, he didn't do much against the Cowboys. We'll get into it more. But by not doing much, I think he actually won them that game. Uh, but yeah, just great, great games all around next week. Um, and I'm just excited to sit down and watch them. Uh, but we're going to go in chronological order here. We're going to dive into this divisional round. And the first game we're going to look at is the Kansas City Chiefs, 27-20 to victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, obviously, like we talked about, there was the injury to Patrick Mahomes during this game. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot for both sides to unpack, but I'll just let Jeff start us off. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty darn good effort from the Jaguars. I feel like they, they deserve a lot of credit. Um, you know, they went, what, they started 2-1 and one to start the season. We, we gave them the AFC South crown, and then they had their struggles, and then they got hot late. Um, but they are certainly a, a team to be reckoned with in the future, in my eyes. Um, that division is theirs for the foreseeable future, because the Titans have fallen off hard, and the Colts and Texans don't really have a future as of right now. Um, but credit to the Jaguars, they had a good season. Um, his injury to Mahomes is a very big deal. Uh, he is a guy who can pretty much play through any minor injury, as we've seen. He literally did it this past Saturday. Um, it doesn't hurt him too much, I feel like. But um, you know those plays where he's got to scramble out or you know make something happen, I think that'll definitely play an impact for this upcoming week. But um, you know, the Chiefs, they always find a way to get it done, it feels like. Yeah, I was going to say, it's pretty remarkable what the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes has done, and I think we got so accustomed to Tom Brady doing it so much that this is remarkable in its own sense. It's the fifth straight AFC championship for Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs just always find a way. And, you know, we look at the beginning of the year. This division was stacked. They had the Broncos, who we thought at the time was good. Uh, this Raiders was an up-and-coming team. And then the Chargers, everyone thought was maybe the best roster in football, no, it was always the Chiefs, and we got to understand that for time to come. So it's remarkable what this Chiefs team has done. And it gets a Jacksonville team, which you've talked about, Jeff, a great season. They had nothing to lose. Like The Jaguars had an unbelievable season. They should hang their heads high. Um, they, they, you know, obviously in the moment, you know, you see Mahomes go out. You think maybe this is our time to capitalize. We can go on this, like, Titans-esque run when they did it, go to the AFC Championship. But, um, you know, you're just not – there's only so many teams that can beat Kansas City in Kansas City. And we'll see if Joe Burrow does it again next week for a second straight year. But we cannot take away what Kansas City has done on a year-end basis. It's pretty remarkable. Um, and that's why it's such an advantage that these teams have, you know – 
the number one seed. Um, obviously, we've seen, you know, in the past, it's been the top two seeds, and now it's only the one team, Kansas City. They benefited from this. You only have one winner in the AFC Championship. So we saw it here, and uh, they have a good chance to get back to the Super Bowl. As far as Jacksonville goes, this season has been such a success. They're the only team in the Super Bowl era to go from last place in the NFL to a playoff winner the next season. They, I think it solidifies Urban Meyer as the worst NFL coach like in, a, in NFL history. Um, but Jacksonville, I wish we could have seen them really strike when Mahomes went out. But Chad Henney got to give props to him for that drive, um, not letting that happen. But Jacksonville, obviously... We didn't get to talk about it over break, but Trevor Lawrence having four interceptions and then just turning it around, Jacksonville behind him, I think has such a great future. And then with the Chiefs, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is is that guy for coming back out and, you know, throwing a game-sealing touchdown on one foot. He was fantastic and, and may play, you know, some kind of role in the next game. We'll see how he comes out and he plays on it, but... It's great for the Chiefs to once again get to host the fifth annual Arrowhead Invitational. It's so funny how an injured Patrick Mahomes is still a top ten quarterback in this league. Like he's just ridiculous, man. A guy I would keep my eye out for this upcoming weekend is someone like Trey Hendrickson, who's the number one pass rusher for the Bengals. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to be the guy who's going to have to wreak havoc, make him move around a little bit. But you know, go to your thoughts, Lucas. (laughs) I, I do think. Obviously, just a round of applause for the Jaguars. They won, what, five straight to get in here. Uh, they were just, it looked like they were down and out. And Trevor Lawrence just turned around the season and basically turned around that franchise with him and Doug Peterson. And it looks like they have found something with this team. But it does feel, at least in my opinion, there was a stretch where that defense was able to hold that Kansas City offense basically in check. And their offense really didn't do anything. In the second half of that game, they obviously got the field goal at the end, but I, I just felt like it was a little bit left on the table there. You could have, like you said, Cody, just striked a little bit with when the Chiefs were obviously vulnerable in that situation. But, yeah, just a testament to how tough uh, Patrick Mahomes is. And I just I just want to throw it out there. Shout-out to Andy Reid, who, even though his starting quarterback in a playoff game was yelling at him to be put back in the game, he wouldn't allow him to back in without getting an X-ray. So putting the players' safety before the game. Shout-out to you, Andy Reid. But, yeah, just uh, the Chiefs are great. I think we all understand that now. And I think uh, I think they have a good chance to make it to the Super Bowl. But now jumping to the other one seed in the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles did defeat the New York Giants 38-7. The Giants, yeah, they had a very, like the Jaguars, a very good year. You know, a lot to be proud of. Maybe not the final result, but I'll let let Jeff take this one away. Yeah, if you you want to hear the hesitancy in uh, Luke's voice, it's because he is a Giants fan. Um, But I told him there's a lot to be proud of for this season. Again, Daniel Jones made tremendous strides. He stopped turning the ball over. For the most part, um, did have an interception in the game this past Saturday. But, I mean, this one seemed like it was over before it started. Um, I really did think the Giants had a a fighting chance in this game because they did look impressive at Minnesota. But then you're down 14-0 at the end of the first. And then you're down 28-0 at halftime. And there's just nothing you can really do. Giants kind of dug themselves into a hole a little bit. They went for it on fourth and eight on the first drive. And... They didn't get it. You know, their momentum was kind of killed. And by the time it's 14 nothing, it kind of takes away your best offensive playmaker being Saquon Barkley. And there's no reason to really run the ball when you're, you know, down 14 or down 21 or down 28. So uh, the Giants did exactly what they shouldn't have done, which was get down big and early. Um, but credit to the Eagles. Again, they're a very, very good team. Jalen Hurts. You know, he missed the last couple of weeks of the season, but, um, you know, he's he's an MVP candidate, a legit MVP candidate. Last year he was just a, a fantasy quarterback to some, but this year he's really taken the stride to be a great NFL quarterback. Well, and yeah, even though Jalen Hurts had a good year last year, you know, we obviously saw the performance against the Bucks in the playoffs, and he had a terrible performance. Yeah, then. he was bad. And 
I think everyone just kind of remembered that game, and they're like, oh, this year he's not going to be that good. He's not the guy. And he has a great season, but there's still that you know narrative that how is he going to be as a playoff quarterback? We still haven't seen it. Obviously, people have been using that against Lamar for so much time. But he played great. Um, it's kind of funny that that game was on the fifth anniversary of the Vikings-Eagles NFC Championship game, which, again, was 38-7. to So um, Eagles just love playing on that day. But, yeah, I mean, for the Giants, look, it's kind of the same thing with the Jaguars. No one expects them to have this great year. They come out firing. Um, Brian Dable is my coach of the year. Not sure if you guys agree with that, but sure. he's just been unbelievable. But this Eagles team, and to your point, Jeff, like you cannot get down early in Lincoln Financial Field against this Eagles team because they're just going to build off that. Um, and obviously that's how it should be with the 49ers next week. For someone like Brock Purdy, who has never played in an NFC Championship game, you cannot afford to go down early against this Eagles squad. Their defense, everything about the squad is just great. And you were saying earlier, Lucas, it's probably a top-two roster in the NFL. Maybe the Niners are better, but they have the quarterback advantage. So they're great. But the Giants, I mean, look, Daniel Jones, he had a great year. They didn't even pick up his fifth-year option, but... Maybe that was good for him. Um, him and Saquon are going to get a bag, so good for them. I think with the Eagles, Jalen Hurts obviously deserves all that respect. It's crazy to think before the season it was another prove-it year for Hurts. And what was proven was if you get a guy weapons, he's going to produce. And they got A.J. Brown on the team, and the defense is obviously, I think, right there with the team that they're about to play in San Francisco for the best defenses in the NFL. But kind of like you said, Kurt, you really have to prove it in the playoffs, and that was a great game in the playoffs that he played. Um, and then for the Giants, I don't I don't know if Daniel Jones should get a bag. I don't know if Daniel Jones is a guy who's going to lead a team to a Super Bowl. He's a guy that you can lead to a Super Bowl if he has a perfect situation, but I don't see him as a guy who's going to really like really help you get out of a hole like we've seen guys like Patrick Mahomes. And it's unfair to compare him to Patrick Mahomes, I understand that, but I just I don't see Daniel Jones as a guy that's really going to be, "Hey, I'm going to lead this team and I'm going to be one of the huge reasons why you won a Super Bowl because of me." So is he a franchise guy? I don't think so. Yeah, it, it's tough because I think we could fall into like this spiel with Daniel Jones, how we kind of feel about people like maybe Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's a better quarterback, but you have Cowboys fans just saying, is he the guy? Because is he probably going to be a Super Bowl MVP, a guy who is a Super Bowl winning quarterback? Probably not. I think a lot of people think that with Daniel Jones, but I will add to his credit. In the Vikings game, there were a couple of throws where I was like, there's only... 10 people I can maybe think of that can make that throw. And so I give him that respect. I just, again, to your point, I do agree with you. I don't think you can win a Super Bowl, which is tough because there's only like three guys, I would say, maybe four that are tier one quarterbacks that, yes, you can win a Super Bowl. Like this guy's going to, whenever you have this guy on a roster, you're in Super Bowl contender. So it's a tough situation to be in. Lucas, can I ask you a question? Uh, go ahead. How much are the Giants paying Kenny Galladay? <laughs> What is it? 70? 70 total? It's way too much. Yeah. And he's not on the hey, field. Hey, he made a great block last weekend against <laughs> the did. Vikings. Okay, sure. He has, what does he have, one touchdown catch as a member of the Giants, and it was, it was garbage time against the Eagles. Daniel Jones doesn't really have much help. You know, he's had Saquon Barkley, who's had his injury problems, as we all know. But his receivers right now, I mean, he's throwing to Isaiah Hodgins. I could list them out. Richie James. <laughs> Who else do we got? Darius, Darius Slayton. Slayton. Darius Slayton's the best. Of that them. Richie James drop where he just had a straight touchdown if he just actually caught the ball. And the week before, when we could have iced the game and Darius, and on a sl- mm-hmm. Darius Slayton had the drop. It's literally just a drag route coming across the field, I mean, and he just dropped it. And at tight end, I mean, Daniel Bellinger's pretty solid for a fourth-round rookie, so yeah. I won't say too bad about him. Landon but, Hodgins wasn't even on the roster. Yeah, here. exactly. So, I mean, if... I mean, for quarterbacks to make that jump, they need an elite receiver, and Daniel Jones has literal practice squad guys that he's talking to. I'm, I'm glad you said that, Jeff, um, because you, there's a lot of ways when I look at this roster you could go. Do you really want to commit a lot of 
financial future in a running back who's shown injury, to be injury prone at times and then a quarterback who had one good season and that one good season involved him just not turning the ball over. He only threw for 15 touchdowns. The guy wasn't like an electric offensive player. He just did his job well enough. But I do think that this roster, I, I think Daniel Jones, like you said, I mean, he's playing with basically nothing right now. I think with a adequate Set, uh, adequate set of skill positions at the wide receiver spot, like we saw with Jalen Hurts. I think you could see a lot of improvement there. I think the right side of the line could improve a little bit. I think we could use some linebackers. I think there's a lot to improve this roster. I'm just not so sure. It's one of those weird situations where I'm glad we got to the second round, but the getting to that second round, which made me feel better about Daniel Jones, almost brought up more questions about him. Like, could he actually win against these top-tier NFL teams? I think with the right help, maybe, but if Daniel Jones gets an A.J. Brown-type player, yeah. what are the Giants' cap? I think— What's their ceiling? I think, we're all, I think the route for this team is to be a defensive team. I think that's just how we're going to be. We're built on that end. We have a great interior uh, on that defensive line. So I think that's our strong suit. I think this could easily be a 10-win team, plus 10-plus win team— if you give him adequate help at that wide receiver position. I was going to say 11. I mean, they had nine this year. They're probably looking at 11, 12. If you get him an elite guy, but again. But that's that's looking ahead a little bit. But, yeah, it, it was a it was a uh, encouraging yet disappointing end uh, to the Giants season. Uh, but I will say, after a couple years of just straight disappointment, I, I'm just very happy to be in the hands of Brian Dable and this, this, this whole staff. I love... Uh, uh, it's a great team. It's a fun team. Um, I'm not going to get too upset about just one outcome. Now, moving on uh, to the Sunday games and probably the most surprising outcome of the weekend. The Cincinnati Bengals took down the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo 27-7. Jeff, what do you got? Joe Burrow's awesome. I'll say that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, you can't dislike that guy, by the way. You I, can't. I, I think <laughs> I kind of said I did the day before. I don't know if you remember that. Well, that's... I don't, I don't know how, but, I mean, the Bengals, again, just show that they're elite performers on the road in the postseason. Can't wait for them to get another shot um, this upcoming weekend. The Bills, man, uh, you, you, you feel bad. Yeah, I, I personally feel bad um, because they've had a lot, of, a lot of unforeseen circumstances this year. You know, even at the beginning of the year, <clears throat> they were... You know, the favorites, everyone thought they were going to the Super Bowl. I thought they were going to the Super Bowl. And then it, I don't know what happened, but it seemed like the last few weeks of the season, something kind of, you know, switched. It, I don't think it was the DeMar Hamlin situation, but that may have contributed. Uh, it's certainly a distraction. But, you know, Josh Allen, man, he, when he's on, he's on. But this this past weekend, he... Really wasn't just twenty five of forty two two sixty five no touchdowns and an interception. Uh, he was the leading rusher for the team, which you know that's kind of been the missing piece for the Bills. They've been trying at new running backs every single year, and they still don't have a run game. Um, they're on such a great run of success, and they have nothing to show for it. It's it's a little eerily similar to you know back when they went to four straight Super Bowls and lost all of them um like i said you just you just have to feel bad for a team that is is so good and then just fails to perform when it matters most yeah i mean i tweeted this but when joe burrow posts a picture and comments john snow for my game of thrones fans meaning king of the north there's no chance he's gonna lose this game um i've talked about since the on this on the show, um, I think they're the best team in the league. Um, again, ten and one in the last eleven regular season games. They come into this postseason just. I think a lot of people in that Baltimore game overreacted. It's it's a divisional game. You know, it was it was gritty. I still thought Cincinnati was fine, um, but they played an unbelievable brand of football. Jamar Chase is just 
an electric wide receiver. And, of course, Joe Burrow, like you said, how could anyone hate him? Um, but this Bills team, they rely way too much on Josh Allen to play hero ball, which is what we see with Kansas City a lot. The thing is, though, Patrick Mahomes every week can deliver for this Kansas City team. Um, and we thought that Josh Allen, I mean, all of last year and – um, even in the first half of this year, we saw Josh Allen just on a roll and, you know, MVP candidate. Um, he could bail him out, but, you know, as you were saying, Jeff, the back half of the year, um, something kind of happened, and I think a lot of people just expected him to turn it up in the playoffs, figure it out. They still got the two seats, so they weren't playing terrible football, but, you know, it just it wasn't good enough to beat a Bengals team who was playing great football coming in. They always say, um, you got to be playing your best football in November, December, and since he was doing just that. So. Oh, Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo. The Bengals came into their house, ate their grits, took a bubble bath in their bathtub, and slept in their bed. Not the bubble bath, man. And unlike the Goldilocks story, there's no big bear to stop them. <laughs> Eli Apple, he must have been watching film the other day, like from that game. And every time he saw a ball not thrown to Stephon Diggs, he said, let me tweet again real quick. I don't know if that guy has. I don't know. He's living it up, um, which he held Stephon Diggs to under 50 yards for the second time this season. Hmm. He's going to be up against Juju next week, and he held him under 50 yards this season. But here's, here's something about the Bills real quick. Every coach-quarterback combo in NFL history that has ever won a Super Bowl Won that Super Bowl in the first five years of them teaming up. That was year number five for Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. It was year number five for Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson, and we see what could happen there. I'm not saying, like, you know, Josh Allen's going to leave, or Lamar Jackson even, but it's just something to think about, something to ponder on. That was year number five for Allen and McDermott. Yeah, you're talking about coaches, and, I mean, I, I can't believe the stat I saw on Twitter. Um, Zach Taylor has more playoff games won in the last two seasons than Mike Tomlin does in the last 12 seasons, which at the time of Zach Taylor, you know, when he won four games that first year, you never thought that would be the reality. Hey, Mike Tomlin knows how to win football games. All right? Man has been 500 his whole career. Uh, but I, I think this was a fascinating game to watch. I just love when we have these outcomes that really do shock you as a viewer. I don't know how you guys felt, but obviously you were in on the Cincinnati Bengals. But I obviously thought they were good, but I just thought if they were going to win, it would be a tight game. I didn't expect the Bills to get rolled over at home. And all season, you look at Josh Allen and you say he's great. He plays a lot of hero ball, and at times he does a little too much, and he might turn the ball over. That didn't happen in this game. He didn't try. He had the one turnover, but it came when this game was already over. The Bengals just flat out beat them. They dominated on both sides of the ball in the trenches. They, with four of their starting offense linemen out, ran the ball all over that Bills defense and were able to protect Joe well enough so he can make passes. Um, Joe is just, I mean, he's a surgeon back there watching him just go through reads, just find the right guy every single time. I mean, it is, there's the only comparison I could say is Tom Brady. I, everybody can make that comparison, but I mean, it is valid. And then on the other end, I mean, one of the most underrated units in the league is this Cincinnati secondary. They are one of the best secondaries mm-hmm. in the NFL. They have. I forget the stat, but there was like an eight-game stretch where they held passers under 200 yards this season. And they're just a great unit, and they gave uh, the bank, the Bills trouble all day long. And just one other thing I just want to touch on is, are we sure this Bills Bills have enough talent around Josh Allen? They no, have, no, Stephon no, Diggs is not enough people. Good. Not enough people are talking about how this team desperately needs a wide receiver, too. It's it's it was I terrible. Guess we all thought Gabe Davis was that guy, but he's just wildly scored inconsistent. four touchdowns in a playoff game. Yeah, <laughs> but that's and then what four all season this year? Right. No, I mean that's honestly. I think if you asked like someone out there like how you feel about this receiving core, they'll say Gabe Davis be like, oh, would you see him last year in the playoffs? But the regular season, it doesn't matter when he's not producing at a high level. So this team has to draft wide receiver in the first round. It has. Yeah, they to. just need more talent. I mean, Stephon Diggs is obviously Stephon Diggs, but. Outside of that, like Dawson Knox is pretty good, but I mean he's not a guy. Like he's they. I think they just need if they want if they have the Super Bowl aspirations, they're going to need one more guy back there. I mean they signed Cole Beasley off the streets, and that guy was playing heavy minutes for them. Um, and yeah, I just find this interesting because what now this team's whole how we talk about this team is going to completely flip. 
they were the Super Bowl favorite. They were the media's darling going into the season. Now they're going to be the team that no one actually thinks can win in December. They're going to be the team that, oh, can Josh Allen win the big game? And that's going to be the conversation because he hasn't won the big game yet. So very fascinating game. A lot of implications for the NFL for years to come. Um, and I just, I just love it. Uh, but moving on to our last game on the slate. Uh, let me scroll down. You have the San Francisco 49ers edging out the Dallas Cowboys in a defensive grudge match, 19-12. to Jeff, what did you think? Yeah, this game was not really fun to watch, to be honest. Um, but I think we can, for the Cowboys, ask that same question about, you know, does he have, does Dak Prescott have enough help? Because, <clears throat> well, Tony Pollard did get hurt in this game. That didn't really help. Zeke Elliott is washed. We know that. Everyone knows that. Um, but outside of C.D. Lamb, who had 10 catches for 117 yards, the next best receiver was Dalton Schultz with five catches for 27 yards and a touchdown. So I think the Cowboys are in a similar situation. I, they went and drafted Jalen Tolbert this past draft, expecting him to be that guy, and I don't, I don't know if he even played this year. Um, and they go out and sign a guy like T.Y. Hilton, and he has one catch for, for 15 yards. Um, so the Cowboys are, are kind of in that similar situation where does Dak have enough help? Um, as for the game that, that he played, it was pretty average. <laughs> he had the, the two interceptions, had the touchdown as well. But um, one play that I feel like isn't talked or is kind of being talked about quite a bit was the Cavante Turpin uh, kick return, which he got it out to about the, the 40 or 45. But if he literally goes to the left or to the right, he has a touchdown. He just runs he right runs to the kicker. He runs directly <laughs> into Robbie Gold yeah. and gets tackled. And that's the that was the difference uh, in the mean, game. Yeah. <laughs> 19 to 12. They lost by a touchdown. Um, as for the 49ers, um, people who do know me know I am a, a Brock Purdy truther. I, I don't think he's very good. Uh, I think he is he benefits a lot from the scheme and, and the weapons around him. I mean, it's pretty easy to say for any San Francisco quarterback, but um, he doesn't really make plays on his own, and it seems like every every pass he has is like, you know, the guy's wide open. Um, but uh, he's going to have to step up, certainly on Sunday, because he's not only is he playing in his first NFC Championship game, he's playing on the road, in the cold. Uh, I'm interested to see how he how he handles it. Yeah, where have we seen this instance before where a, uh, um, I guess, what's the right term, a coach's quarterback um, is on the road, system quarterback, is on the road in the NFC Championship game. Oh, it happened last year, and look how that turned out. I still think the Niners have a good chance to win this game because I think the roster is better than last year. Um, And I think Brock Purdy... Look, I, I, and I, don't, I don't know if he's better than Jimmy G. He's probably around the same talent as Jimmy G. Um, I will give Brock Purdy the benefit that I think he moves very well in the pocket. I think he's got a good arm, but he obviously benefits from the roster around him. So it will be very intriguing to see what happens um, against Philadelphia. But can we stop? Praising Dallas, please. I've just heard it for so many years now. Um, I know we both hate them, Lucas, and yeah. the, the NFC East, but I'm just told by week 13 that this is the best roster they've had in a long time. I know they got a first-round win against Tampa, but Tampa was absolutely terrible this year. Outside of Tom Brady, no one really cared and thought they had a chance to win. So, look, I Dallas... They're always not going to make it to the promised land. Um, it always happens. So it's always a great thing to see in my eyes. Uh, just to fuel uh, our hatred for the Cowboys, I found a great stat. Uh, you might have heard about it, but it's been 27 years since the Dallas Cowboys have made an NFC Championship game. So it is 26 different teams have made the NFC Championship game since they have made an NFC Championship game. It's beautiful. I just, I just beautiful. love that. But I just had to put that out there. <laughs> For Dallas, I mean, Dak Prescott is that perfect in the middle, it feels like, right now, where he's like, he's not good enough to get you there, but he's not bad enough where you have to replace him. Um, so Dak is just that kind of sitting pot right there. Um, he, had, he had a bad game. 
he felt it even from the Cowboys Twitter who wrote about his <laughs> two picks, which that was, was that was odd. It, yeah. it was uh, it sounded so like rude. A, yeah. Like that's your quarterback. Right. It sounded like an annoyed sports reporter, yeah. except it was from the Dallas get, Cowboys Twitter. I, I think Jerry just got a hold of the Twitter account for a second and just yeah. went off. Yeah. That does not give me that bold without Jerry seeing it first. Though. <laughs> Something upon Ron. Uh, the biggest thing that the Cowboys can do to improve, I think, is. What I, it's almost gotten obvious is make Tony Pollard running back one. Uh, sorry, Zeke, but as we've already said, like Tony Pollard's better going forward. And then for the 49ers, they really won on their defense uh, against the Cowboys. And I think for the most part, that's pretty much what we expected. Um, just going into the tail end of the season, people are saying like they have one of the best defenses in the league, which... They do. I think it's one and two that we're going to see against the Eagles. But with Brock Purdy, unless you win a Super Bowl this year, if the 49ers decide to start Brock Purdy next year and move on from even Trey Lance, because they're all in on Brock Purdy, NFL Lords, help you. I I, I agree with Jeff 100%. Brock Purdy is a guy who... Like, it's a great story for what it is. If he wins a Super Bowl, go. Like, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But he's not a guy who's going to consistently last for the next 10 years and be a guy that's going to constantly lead teams to conference championships. And I think Trey Lance has such a high ceiling. If you were to move on from him to start Brock Purdy, you could be in trouble in the next few years. So if Brock wins the Super Bowl, you still would go with Trey? What if he gets to the Super Bowl? Mm, if okay, well, if if Brock wins the Super Bowl and you keep the team the same, I feel like you almost have to stick with it yeah. because he's already like it's kind of like a Tom Brady thing. He's already like got the locker room with him. Um, if he makes, I, otherwise, even if they make the Super Bowl, I still go with Trey Lance next season. I think his ceiling is so much higher than Brock's. I think his floor is higher than Brock's once he's healthy. <laughs> And what I try to tell people who are like, wow, this Brock Purdy guy is really good. It's like, if you put him on any other team, is he as good as he is now? Yeah. I mean, no. His last game before against the Cowboys, he started terrible, and then he picked it up. But I want to say, like, three of his touchdown passes were passed like five yards within the line of scrimmage. They're dump-offs that guys like Debo Samuel take for touchdowns. I think that's a huge part that's overlooked. Yeah, he can make the dump-off behind the line of scrimmage and the guy can go run for a touchdown. That's great, but that's not going to last you um, a, a career even the next few years. So, yeah, I don't think... I think Brock Purdy's a really great... His environment's great, and that's why the team is winning. I think this Brock Purdy conversation is just fascinating because I'm in a weird middle position. Like last night I was talking to my brother who's a 49ers fan, and he said he loved the performance from Purdy. And he wasn't wrong in some aspects. Purdy does have some skill sets that bode well for a team like the 49ers. Obviously, yeah, if you throw him on the Texans, probably not playing as well. But he handles pressure well. He can maneuver in the pocket. He's accurate. Uh, He doesn't make bad decisions. He doesn't turn the ball over. So I— it works for what this team needs. So I think if you look at the two quarterbacks in that game, I think Brock Purdy played better than Dak Prescott for sure, and he won them the game by not making mistakes. Uh, but are you still in the same boat as you were with Garoppolo where you really can only throw over the middle of the field? You're really limited in your quarterback where almost everything has to be perfect around him. I mean, just look at this game. They scored 19 points. The defense held a team to 12 points. You still need one of the best defenses in the league to win with a guy like Purdy. So, yeah, I think... I don't think he's the problem, but yeah, you definitely shouldn't just take this outcome and then say Purdy's the guy, because he's not the guy. He was drafted last in the draft for a reason. I think they have better options, but I think for now, Purdy's a good fit. I kind of disagree with y'all with Dak, though. Dak is the problem. He's getting paid almost $40 million a year. He was terrible in that game. I'm throwing out the two picks. He almost took a sack on that first down when that's literally the only thing you couldn't do, and then should have thrown a game-sealing pick six. I, Can we talk ahead. about the last play? What? That the Cowboys ran? Oh, oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> yes, you should have a tight end that knows how to put two feet in the 
No, no, no. I'm talking Florida about keep moving forward. I'm talking about uh, the last play. Zeke where just Zeke getting... lined oh, up at center. Oh, that <laughs> was that was maybe the funniest play I've ever do you, seen. Yeah. The, do you remember the Colts one that was like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was very similar to very that similar. where Zeke immediately when he snapped the ball just got blown up. And then Dak almost got blown. I think he did get hit. And I think the idea, I, I actually thought about this, was to throw that slant. And then have Zeke come off that and kind of have blockers on the left side, and he's coming left. But they didn't account for Zeke getting absolutely blown up when he immediately snapped the ball. Maybe that wasn't the plan. It was a I joke think it was of a play. To, to throw it across the field once they actually were met with pressure, you know, because they had blockers on both sides. Yeah. But it was very funny. It was. And they ran it twice. They called the timeout and then still <laughs> stuck with it after that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. As soon as that timeout was called, you'd think, okay, like we kind of have to switch it now. But yeah. Nope. But yeah, that all time, uh, just like, w- w- what are you doing? Just no awareness <laughs> from Dalton. Sh- uh, yeah. Like that. Name. Dal- Two times in a row. Yeah. Two plays in a row. The first one. Yeah. Well, he first, let himself yeah. Get pushed he does. He gets pushed out of bounds, so the clock keeps rolling. And then, I mean, the only time I've seen a play like that is in Madden, where the player just for some reason doesn't drag his foot against the ground. Yeah. He just chose not to touch the ground with his left or right foot. I forget which one, but I mean, it was just. I, I feel like so I could have made that catch. Him, that, was, that was a crazy. Yeah, just the total. Uh, it's hilarious that for two straight seasons now with Mike McCarthy, which is arguably one of the funniest and funniest looking coaches in the NFL, <laughs> that the Cowboys have just collapsed in the most hilarious fashions with the, you know, thinking that they could spike the ball off the um, Dak Prescott scramble last year, and then now the mess that happened at the end of this game. So, just a very fun. Uh, I think the Cowboys are a funny team. I would like Mike McCarthy to keep coaching them so they can just have continuously hilarious endings to their seasons. But yeah, I think that. But yeah, okay. So that's divisional round. That was a lot. Yeah, we um, we may have spent a little too much time on that. <laughs> no, I, that's all right. NFL playoffs. NFL is king. But exactly. we're gonna, with that, we're gonna take a quick break. We don't go anywhere. We're gonna come back with some App State basketball and football. You're listening to Sports Rep on ninety point five WASU. Lights, camera, action. Have you watched our friends at App TV yet? App TV is in the same building here on campus with WASU-FM in the Beasley Media Complex. App TV has student-made content from sports to news to video game reviews. App TV is on SkyBest Channel 20 or 1020, Spectrum Charter Channel 198, and Channel 23.3 on campus. Or the App TV website, watchapptv.com. This is Cameron Moore, air personality and program director of KISS 95.1 in Charlotte. Are you considering a career in broadcasting? The Keller Radio Talent Institute is 10 days of intense learning from over 40 broadcast professionals this summer on the Appalachian State University campus. This is the only program of its kind for college students. Whether on air on music radio, sports, news, podcasting, sales, social media, video, promotions, or any aspect of radio, this is the campus to career connection. Application deadline, March 1st, but it's a rolling acceptance. So the earlier you apply, the more likely you are to get in. Only 25 students are accepted. More information at nationalradiotalentsystem.com under Keller Radio Talent Institute. Today a student, tomorrow a pro. Eggers Law Firm is a full-service law firm right in the heart of Boone on King Street that attends to matters from business to traffic. They focus on legal services to Watauga County and are fourth-generation Apple alum serving since 1950. For more information or legal services, you can contact Eggers Law Firm at 828-264-3601. If the Boone winter winds have you wishing for warmer weather, think about summer and taking a class or two. Registration opens on April 3rd. The Summer Sessions scheduled classes is available now at summersessions.appstate.edu. Welcome back to Sports Wrap, sponsored by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, attorney at law. Now, closing out the show, we're going to talk about some App State athletics. First, we got App State basketball. The Mountaineers have been as up and down as up and down could be this season, sitting at 4-4 four and four in conference play and 11-10 and 10 overall. And coming off a road win against Old Dominion, the Mountaineers' next four games will be at home, giving them a chance to rise up the Sun Belt ranks. So over the next four road games, what's something you'd like to see the Mountaineers improve in, Jeff? 
Uh, it's a lot of the same things that we've been saying all year, but um, late game situations, we simply crumble. It's yeah. it's kind of sad to watch, to be honest. Um, but we, we were talking. I was talking to, to you guys about it before the show. But the Coastal Carolina game, um, the overtime was so so horribly, you know, coached. Um, Debaji Walker was the guy in that in that Coastal game. Had a career high twenty seven. I can't remember how many it was in the second half. I think it was. It may have been twenty plus in the second half. He's he could not miss. He was the only reason we were in the game. And then once we get in overtime, it's just. Don McGregory post up for the first possession, same thing for the second, and for the third, and for the fourth, and he did not make a single shot. And we simply just failed to make adjustments. And we had, uh, I mean, App State had a lot of shooters on the floor, too. He simply had to free one of them up and maybe get a good look. Mantis was on the floor, Walker was on the floor, Harkham was on the floor, and then, you know, Don McGregory is the one stuck taking all the shots, and by that point, you know, the game was sealed. As for the uh, Old Dominion game, and you know, Terrence Harkin went off, so uh, that's good. But looking forward, you know, it, you're at home. You got to take advantage. It's there's a few tough games. Georgia State's the defending conference champion. You got Marshall, who whipped you last time you played him, and then James Madison, who is one of the top scoring teams in the country, who is going to be looking for revenge. So. Uh, these next few games are very important for App State. It's a weird team for App State because you look at like the second half against UNC Charlotte and you're like, this team has never played basketball before. No. <laughs> and then you look at the Old Dominion game and you're like, we should be winning this conference. So, like you said, up and down is a perfect way to describe it. We'll talk about this more when we get to Terrence Harkham, but this team truly needs a true score. Um, you know, we saw Terrence Harkum have a great night, but we've also seen Don McGregory, Chris Mantis, Tabaji Walker, Tyree Boykin. They've all been at some point the the scoring guy on this team. Um, we don't just have like that Justin Forrest guy who can get us a bucket or be that offensive guy on this team. Um, so that's obviously where we lack. And you know, we talk about it throughout the year. Um, maybe this is as deep as an App State team we've seen in a while. But when you're looking at the starting lineup and the true number one guys, it doesn't compare to when we've had Almanasi and Justin Forrest. So I'd like to see maybe if Terrence Harkum can turn into that number one score for us. But obviously, it's just a sample size of one game, so you never know. But that's what. I would like to see. Yeah, I'll take a really easy one first, I guess, which is consistency I'd like to see because <laughs> it has been super up and down, and it doesn't feel like the team, you know, consistency throughout the season, but also consistency in the game. It doesn't feel like they really keep their foot on the pedal. Um, but one thing as far as, because you look at these stats, and this is a team that really probably should win the Sun Belt. They're top five in to almost top three in most categories in the Sun Belt. A lot of top five, a little bit of top three. They're very well-rounded. One thing I would like to see a little bit of an improvement in rebounding, which some because right now they're 12th in the Sun Belt in combined total rebounding and 12th in the Sun Belt in rebound margin. Um, the combined one you can kind of look at as, okay, it's a slow team. They don't put as many shots up. But when you look at rebound margin, when you have a team that's second in the Sun Belt and block shots, they have the height. Um, they, sh- they should also be dominating the boards a little bit more. So as far as the statistical category, I'd like to see that improved. Yeah, I would just like to see offensively incorporate our big man a little bit more um, in the low block situation. Two names specifically, Justin Abson and Tamel Pearson. Both of those guys have really good footwork down there, really good touch around the rim, especially Abson. But Tamel is no slouch on there. And I, I guess I'm just speaking to all the basketball players right now because entry passes aren't thrown in basketball anymore. Uh, they'd rather take threes, and I'm sounding like an old man, but entry passes are a forgotten art in the in basketball now. Absent and Smell Pearson average eight shots combined. Each of them are taking four shots a game, especially Absent, who's so skilled as a freshman. Uh, I just think we're just missing a lot of easy opportunities right at the rim for a team that struggles to score sometimes. Get the ball down low. Those are sometimes the easiest shots, especially when you have two really big guys who are good around the rim. So not too complicated. Just kind of move the ball around a little bit more, get it down in the low block. Uh, but against Old Dominion, like we talked about, Terrence Harcum scored a career-high 28 points after being moved back into the starting lineup. With the Mountaineers lacking a go-to score, could Harcum or another Mountaineer develop into that in the second half of the season? I don't think we're going to have a consistent go-to guy game in and game out at it seems like someone's stepping up individually every single game. You take a look at our 
are scoring numbers. Our top guys, Don McGregory, at 12 points a game. Got two other guys in double figures, and it, it's kind of just flat after that. Um, so it is going to be a game-by-game basis. Um, for example, that Coastal game, you know, it wasn't Don McGregory's night. It was Debaji Walker's. So you've got to incorporate him at the end of the game. Uh, Terrence Harcum stepped up in the Old Dominion game, made eight threes, which is incredible, to be honest. Um, so he's your go-to guy there. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be one guy. I think if Coach Kearns is going to want anyone to be the go-to guy, it's going to be Donovan Gregory because, for the most part, those you know mid-range jumpers and fadeaways are darn near automatic from him. But um, like I said, if he doesn't have it, you got to adjust and, and look elsewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be one sole person but I think if it was going to be I do think Terrence Harkin could be that guy because obviously the eight three-pointers we haven't seen that this year um, I think it's the best shooting that I've seen from anyone all season long too so you know obviously if you can build on this performance I have high expectations but um, I, I don't think it's you know we're going to find that true guy I think it's going to be on a game in game out basis yeah I agree with both of you guys I think under this Dustin Kearns era, we have probably the team with the most depth, but take some, give some. You don't really have a one really go-to scorer. Something I like about Terrence Harkum is he rarely has stinkers. He had one against Coastal on the road where he's 3 for 15, which was his worst shooting performance all season. Otherwise, when he shoots nine or more shots from the field, he has scored in double digits. So, you know, like he, he can't, he's a pretty good shooter. He's doesn't have those just terrible, terrible nights. I do agree with what Jeff said about if Kearns is going to try to find a go-to score, it's going to be Donovan Gregory because of how consistent he is, um, especially when you're looking for a guy at the end of games. I know, Lucas, you and I were on the Georgia Southern call, and he had two back-to-back fadeaways from the same spot, made them, then missed one, but didn't lose any confidence. He went and made one to go ahead at the very end of that game. So I think if you're going to have that guy at the end of the game, I think Kearns is going to want it to be Donovan Gregory. But I do really like that Harkham can stay consistent. I, I love your point there, Cody, about Harkham. And it shows that it's more of a maybe a shot thing more than anything. When he takes more shots, he scores in double figures. I would love Harkham, if you're listening right now, Terrence. Oh, he is. Don't worry. I'm telling you, you're really good when you just put your head down and use those big shoulders mm-hmm. and put them into people and then finish at the rim. You're a strong guy. I think you could be our top scorer. I just think you need to take 15 shots a game. I, I, I think he's probably the most talented guy on this roster, in my opinion. He's younger, so maybe he doesn't have the co- coach's trust yet, which is why a guy like Donovan Gregory, love Donovan Gregory, he has the coach's trust. He's been there a while. He makes clutch shots, so he's going to get the go-ahead late in those games. But I feel like this is just kind of a thing. We're just waiting for Harkum to realize how good of a player he actually could be. Um, so I, I do think Harkum could be a, a much better version of the person we've seen so far this season. I think he could be the leading scorer. Maybe not this season. I don't expect someone to, like Jeff and you guys said, like I don't think we're just going to have a guy averaging close to 20 points a game all of a sudden. But maybe next year he's only a sophomore. I think this season I'd like to see him just take steps to becoming more of that top scorer for us. So next year he could really step into that role. Um, But finally, before we head off, this Thursday at 6.30, the Mountaineers will be hosting the Georgia State Panthers. Uh, We'll be covering this game on 90.5 WASU as Jeff will be on the call with Riley Carlson. Uh, So looking forward to this game. What do you expect from the Mountaineers? Well, I was going to say for... Georgia State. It really depends which team of of Panthers shows up. They're two and six in conference play, and in their past four games, they've three of those games have been fifty three points, fifty eight points, and fifty two. And that one other game, they scored a hundred against Coastal Carolina, <laughs> which is vi- they. Wow, they I mean they beat them by thirty four. That's pretty crazy. So uh, this seems like a. a Georgia State team that is very, very capable and is no slouch. It seems like everyone in this conference can beat everyone. Um, So I'm really interested to uh, see how things play out, especially with uh, Georgia State knocking App State out of the Sun Belt tournament last year. Yeah, I mean, if we want to turn the season around, the run's got to start. I mean, I looked at it because I'm a Nats fan. You know, in 2019 when we won the World (laughs) Series, we were like 
I don't even know, 19 and 31, and then we won the World Series. So maybe this is the starting point, as you talked about, Lucas, four-game home streak. Maybe we can build off this, and especially because even though Georgia State, a gritty team that obviously was top of the Sun Belt last year, they're at the bottom of the barrel. It's a home game. It's a game you have to, if you want to have this identity at App State to be a win-now program, you got to win that game. So high expectations. I think we could be you know, starting some kind of run, and it starts on Thursday. Yeah, I think this conference as a whole is so wide open. Just as both of you guys said, it's anyone can beat anyone, it feels like. Um, it's super wide open, and yeah, you have to go on that run. It's really who's going to take it, who's going to take the conference, because it could be anyone's. And I agree with you, Kurt. I think this is a great opportunity for App State to start that. Um, I think with this, I mean, I expected more from Georgia State going into this season. Um I think if App State can obviously not overlook and take good shots, which you can't look, overlook anyone in the Sun Belt, uh, they should be okay. I think, once again, keep, keep it in the 60s or 70s is probably going to be this kind of game and hopefully come out with a win. Yeah, in this division, top to bottom, anybody can beat anybody. We can, You already see it. Three teams ahead of App State are three games they've won. Troy, uh, Louise, or Troy, James Madison, and Georgia Southern. Or Georgia Southern, they lost off the buzzer beater, but that was a very close game. But, yeah, you see it just top teams, bottom team, doesn't really matter. They're all close. I do think if it's going to happen, this is going to be the stretch that it will have to happen. And I think you're right, Cody. It's just... Whatever team gets hot at the right time is going to take this division, I think. We've seen it over the last couple years. Uh, We were that team two seasons ago. Georgia State was that team last year, and it's going to be, I think, another team like that this year. I don't think there's just a dominant team in this conference. I think whoever gets hot at the right time is going to take it. But with that, that'll do it for the first episode of Sports Wrap in 2023. But before we go, we have shout-outs. Jeff, you want to get us started? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, I want to shout out, of course, everyone listening, family, friends. Um, my sports shout out will go to Detroit Mercy guard Antoine Davis, who passed Freeman Williams to become the number two all-time leading scorer in college basketball. Only one man in front of him, Pistol Pete, who scored 3,667 points in three years without a three-point line. That is ridiculous. Uh, he probably won't pass him, but um, he, uh, Antoine Davis has had an incredible career. Yeah, shout out family, friends, everyone listening. Shout out you guys. I want to give a sports shout out to Zach Eady, who is currently tearing up college basketball. The Yao Ming of college basketball, averaging 21.5 points, 14 rebounds, he's 7-4. He's only two months older than me. And, you know, there's a, I don't think there's much of a height difference. I don't know about you guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give a sports shout out to Teapot Bill O'Brien going back to the Patriots now so that'll be pretty fun <laughs> yeah shout out to my grandma always listening shout out to Amanda and Tiago up in New York and all my family and friends listening and my sports shout out is Emily Carver uh, the App State women's basketball team has scored over 20 points in the last four games shooting I mean over 50% from three she's on a heater right now go watch some App State women's basketball they're very entertaining. But with that, that'll do it for another episode of Sports Wrap, sponsored by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, attorney at law. I'm Lucas, Jeff, Kurt, and Cody, signing off. <laughs>